Hello and welcome to The Ordinary Knitter, the knitting podcast that's mostly about the projects. Sponsored by EcoFlap home draft proofing products, including the PetFlap draft proof pet door. Find out more about the PetFlap at thepetflap.com. My name is Heather and I'm at The Ord Knitter on Twitter, at The Ordinary Knitter on Instagram and Ordinary Knitting on Ravelry. This time, finally finishing Taylor, strengthening sock heels and new yarn, new needles. I've been talking for far too long about finishing Taylor, a jumper I've knitted for my 18-year-old daughter. It is finished as of yesterday. Hooray! I won't review the pattern as this is the second version of Taylor I've made and I've done all that before. You can listen to the review in episode 41. I made a point of swatching before knitting Taylor to avoid making yet another jumper that comes out far too big. It took several goes to get the gauge right, horizontally and vertically, but I got there. The finished article fits surprisingly well. So, as if I needed to be told, swatching is worth it on those projects where size matters. I didn't block it because really, why, when you're in lockdown, and it will no doubt be in the washing machine before the end of the week, but I will be interested to see, after washing and shaping, how the sleeves settle down. When I made Taylor before, I couldn't see how the sleeve and the armhole were going to work together when it came to making up. They just seemed all wrong, different shapes. This time, knowing that the sleeve would fit however much it looked to the contrary, I just ploughed on without worrying too much, but keeping an eye on how evenly the excess on the sleeve side was being distributed. I started with the sleeve folded, and I so I identified the centre point um, and pinned it to the shoulder seam, because I thought you can't really go wrong. Obviously, middle of the jumper, the shoulder seam, middle of the, of the sleeve. And I placed locking markers at more or less even intervals on each side, down to where the edge of the armhole and the start of the sleeve shaping met. I had more sleeve. There is no grey area about that. Um, So I really wanted to avoid ruching on that seam. So I made a big effort to keep everything even and I kept it all under review. But even so, I have ended up with a little bit of gathering. sort of bugs me. Um, Every time she's wearing it now, she's worn it more or less solidly since I make it. And I just think, I think I'm not happy with that sleeve. So this is definitely a skill that I need to improve. And it's one of those situations where I wish I had an experienced knitter to hand who could pull my work around, repin things and just show me how to get it smoother. What I don't see at the moment is how I could have done anything differently. I kept a close eye on my stitch count more because I was just continually surprised that I was right. You know, I wasn't mysteriously increasing or or, uh, losing stitches as can happen all by itself. So I know that there wasn't a mistake as such, just a lack of technique. Another technique you have to use when making tailor is picking up and knitting, which is something else I do quite poorly. I've sort of avoided it, to be honest, with projects, but, you know, every now and again, it's just not not worth avoiding it. Uh, So I looked up a video just to remind myself of any crucial details, but it was really just more of a, a 3D thinking exercise to make sure I didn't end up with the original edge of the work on the outside and it wouldn't be the first time. Anyway, I got there in the end. The pattern calls for a little standy-uppy neck, but Polly didn't want that, so I just made a crew neck of about an inch depth. Because it has to stretch to go over her head, I did my usual stretchy bind-off, Jenny Stamen's surprisingly stretchy bind-off, which does leave the edge a little bit ruffled. 
Looking at the fit now, I could probably have got away with a standard bind off as the neck area is a little bigger than last time. The biggest difference between this time and last, apart from no stripes, which came into play when I set in the sleeve last time, is that, uh, that on the previous occasion when I made it, Polly wanted it knitted in garter stitch, whereas the pattern is written for stocking stitch. It should have been an absolute car crash, but it worked out amazingly well last time. In fact, I'd say better than when it's made in stocking stitch. She also wanted it longer in the body this time, which just meant I knitted a number of extra rounds before beginning the um, side shaping, the armhole shaping. So um, I'm, I'm wondering if you having the striping made a significant difference um, because you're changing your yarn every few rows. I mean, it's got to do something um, to the structure in some way. Uh, I do think yarn is one of the most significant elements um, in, in this project in particular. I mean, obviously, it's always a, a huge element of whether or not a project is a success. Um, I used for this one almost, almost the last of the acrylic yarn I bought in Aldi years ago. I bought bloody miles of it. Um, and I think because it's just, that's just pure acrylic, I think, it makes it quite a floppy yarn. Um, something with wool in it or a recycled cotton would have given it uh, a, a sort of more of a firmness. You know, you think of a, a jumper that's been made with a cotton. It's just a slightly firmer thing. Um, I think it would have given it all a little bit more shape. But the word that Polly's used to describe it is cosy. She really likes it. So I'm making it sound like a rag, but really it isn't. I mean, in the end, it's a warm layer. She's always cold. She'll wear it, even if not quite as cheerfully or as publicly, perhaps, as she wears the previous version. Speaking of yarn with more wool in it, I've been researching sock yarns. I've had mixed results over the years with socks wearing through on the flat of the heel. This is always where my husband's socks start to, to thin first. So I wanted to make sure that the next socks that I make for him will last well. I know that um, it wearing through isn't solely uh, down to the yarn, but it's obviously a critical element. So I found myself on the website Winwick Mum Co UK and I was very interested in her yarn reviews. She has a particular point of not using a yarn that has any nylon in it. When a sock yarn is woven, a woolly sock yarn, it's common to put up to about a quarter nylon in it because apparently it helps to bind everything and helps to make the yarn work better. There you go, has that for a technical assessment. But she doesn't want this. She wants to use yarns that have nothing like that in it at all. So she knits in a given yarn, then she sees the socks through six months of washing and wearing them herself before she reviews the yarn. Um, it's really, really interesting. I didn't, in the end, actually use any of the specific yarns that she recommends. But it's a very interesting read, especially also as the wool that she uses is only from UK raised sheep and all sorts of different breeds. She's got all these wonderful photographs of sheep with all manner of different fleeces. And, and it was instructive also on how hand knitted socks pill and felt as they are worn and laundered. 
What I found myself looking for in the end was something with alpaca in it. If you read up on the qualities of alpaca wool, it's astonishing. I mean, I'm you know, I've got a lot of time for sheep's wool, although I can't wear it myself. But, um, you know, it's excellent insulating properties and natural antibacterial and this, that and the other. Three bags full even. Um, and alpaca seems to do all that to sort of, you know, 10 times better and more on top. Uh, so in the end, I would I chose um, Drops Nord, Deep Ocean Mix and Red, which is essentially blue and red. They're 25% wool and 45% alpaca with the rest polyamide. Sensibly, my husband suggested buying just the one and seeing how it goes. But who does that with yarn? And anyway, the postage was much more worth it if I bought two. All the colours are just gorgeous. So if they go well, I can see me heading back for more. And I was delighted that the outlet I often use, Wool Warehouse, is seeing a huge increase in uh, demand for yarn. You know, so much so they've got notes on their site saying that it might just take two or three days longer for orders to reach people. And I was just, I'm so pleased for them that that's how this is working out. You know, I hope some companies come out of all this at least okay. If you're a long-time listener, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of short row heels on socks, specifically the Flegel heel. I've been researching how to strengthen the flat of the heel, but I can find nothing on this. There's lots of advice on strengthening the upright back of the heel, where it might rub against a shoe or a boot, but we don't have that problem. My husband is a big, heavy bloke who thuds down on his heels and wears the socks through on the flat. They don't go on the toe or on the ball of the foot, just the flat of the heel. I did wonder if a short row heel was really the best option in this situation, but oh, the thought of going back to heel flaps. Ugh. I was thinking it through this morning and I did come up with one theory. If I put in a lifeline just before the first heel increase row on a short row flegal heel sock, I could use a traditional heel flap stitch. It was, they call it a pheasant's eye, something like that, just on that stretch and use a normal knit stitch either side of it as the piece gets wider. So as you looked at it getting wider, you'd have sort of, you know, increasing triangles of standard stocking stitch up the sides. But the main bit in the middle, which is where your heel touches down onto the ground or your shoe, would have this um, strengthened piece. So in theory the sock would have the benefit of a strengthening stitch without me having the headache of heel flaps and the dreaded picking up stitches. The yarn won't arrive till well into next week and then I have to knit down that far two at a time so it'll be a little while before I can test out the theory. I'm actually really looking forward to this new yarn. I know it's silly isn't it but you have to cling on to everything you can at the moment. But of course knitting socks in the round isn't the only option. An internet friend of mine has recently knitted her first pair of socks in a way that I hadn't come across before. They were knitted flat and then seamed up the whole length of the sides from toe to cuff. When I've sorted out the sound issues that I'm having on this machine, um, I'll try to set up an interview so that we can learn more about this way of making socks. I knit four ply and five ply socks on 3.25 millimetre needles. 
Once upon a time, I had a pair of Nipro Nova 3.25mm interchangeables. A lovely, smooth, soft metal needle. Well, I say soft, a smooth, smooth metal needle, not soft. That wouldn't be a lot of use. But these days, I have just one of the pair, which is like having just one symbol. I do have a pair of fixed circulars of 3.25mm and they're on a decent length of cable, but acquiring this lovely new yarn and coming up with a theory for strengthening the heel had me convincing myself that I was justified in buying a new pair. I really wanted Nipro Nova Cubics. These are lovely square profile interchangeables, which I've really enjoyed using for other projects, but they don't do them in 3.25mm, at least not that I could find. I could have gone for another set of standard Novas, which would have made sense, as I already had a spare. So if I had a mishap or if I lost, managed to lose half a pair again, I'd have a, a spare. But I don't get new kit very often, so I wanted to make it interesting without breaking the bank. It did occur to me to get something other than Nipro, but I'm sort of in that uh, I don't know what you call it. It's not exactly a catch-22, but I have such a lot of Nipro cables and interchangeables now that to get something else higher, higher is what springs to mind. Although I've also been recommended, I think, a, a Chinese system. I just feel sort of if if somebody gave me a starter kit or something, then I may well go with it. But just the thought of starting again with a whole new set of things, I think it feels a bit extravagant, you know, can't really justify it at the moment. So sticking with Nipro, on eBay, I found Nipro Smart Sticks, or with an X, which were entirely new to me. They have colours printed along them in two centimetre blocks. Now, this is pure gimmick for me. I don't need the markings, see them turn out to be the most useful thing ever in the history of the universe. But I just loved the stripy effect. So I splashed out £5.50 and a pair of these green stripy needles are on their way to me. I'm really looking forward to them. I think they're sharp tips too, which could be useful if this new yarn is slightly hairy, which I suspect it might be. I've not really mentioned it, as you'll be sick of hearing about COVID-19 and lockdown, but we can't ignore it, can we? Some people have more time on their hands, not those with school-aged children, I imagine, or a business that can keep going without contravening lockdown, both of which apply to us. But in the general spirit of tidying up and cleaning out, which I keep hearing about as people try to keep busy, I've cleared out my knitting bag. This is like, you know, like my big bag with everything in it that I lug about. Rather shamefully, it still contained yarns I used for knitting Christmas presents. <laughs> Some of that was the Icelandic Letloppi that I used for the Nine Men's Morris, which I don't think has been used. I still have quite a lot of that. So if anyone's interested, drop me a line and I can give you the specifics. I've got a sort of creamy beige and a lovely blue. I think it might even be called lapis. It's so incredibly woolly that I can't see myself knitting any clothing in it. Also in my bag was the black chunky that I used for the lovely herringbone mitts I made for my father-in-law. That's um, one of those recommended patterns. It's also fairly easy to make for bigger hands and smaller hands. It's easy to adapt. Also lurking in the bottom of the bag were a few fixed circulars that had escaped their bag and were loose. When I saw those, I suddenly thought, oh, maybe my other 3.25 millimetre needle is lurking in here somewhere. But unfortunately, it wasn't. Now, 
you can imagine when you have a bundle of fixed circulars, um, they all they are all stuffed together, and they get awfully sort of coiled, and they turn back on themselves, and all the rest of it. And I have been meaning for ages to relax the cables; they can become uh, very sort of fixed in their weird and wonderful loops and twists, and coiling back on themselves. You know, when they've just been basically shoved in a bag, and you know the zip rammed home for anything more can escape. One reason I prefer interchangeables, to be honest, is that they're just so much more manageable when you need to put them away. I'm sure it's possible to do the same with fix and I'm just being lazy. My husband has mentioned before that all it needs to sort out the cables is just to dunk them in some warm water. He's a materials man, you know, he knows about all these sorts of things with confidence. And I wanted to double check. So I looked up a couple of videos on YouTube Yes, you do essentially dunk your cables in hot water, but not too hot. And then they magically unfurl into nice manageable lengths. So I used the warm water that was already sitting in the kettle from having been, you know, boiled a bit before. And I carefully added a little bit of freshly boiled at a time. So I was just bringing the temperature up gently because I was a bit worried about melting my cables, as you would be. Well, I can't say that they magically unfurled like they do in the videos. Actually, uh, you know how there are all these sorts of very satisfying type of videos all over the internet. Well, watching somebody dunk a horrendously twisted cable into a, a sort of bucket of hot water and it magically unfurling into this smooth thing, it really is quite satisfying, actually. Mine are now a little bit less curly, but I wonder if they're just a bit unsalvageable as they've been tangled up for so long. Interestingly, the one that unfurled the best was the Nipro cable as opposed to all the fixed. So maybe there's something specific to interchangeable cables or to those interchangeable cables. What I notice about the Nipro interchangeable cables is they are opaque. All the rest of the cables on my fixed needles, well, most of them, are essentially see-through. So I wonder if there's some quality or a coating or something that makes a difference there. I have to say in the end, I'm not sure it was really worth the bother, to be honest. The comments on one video have people putting a damp towel over the cables and then ironing them, and someone else uses a hairdryer. I might try the hairdryer, rope in my 11-year-old and uh, call it a lesson in the qualities of plastics. I've had a bit of use out of my sewing machine in the last few weeks. I sewed up a pair of knickers that had come apart on the side seam, which was a ridiculously satisfying little mend. I made pattern weights for my mother, whose birthday falls close to Mother's Day in the UK. These are little things like little pouches about the size of the palm of your hand um, and they have ball bearings in them but the ball bearings are really just around the edge and you sew a square in the middle to keep the ball bearings in place and when you're putting um, you're, you're sandwiching together pattern and material in order to cut you can use these instead of having to pin things I find pinning a bit of a pee in the A to be honest I think my mother's more tolerant of it but I made her a set of those and I happen to have a box and that you get six in this pattern um, and they all just fitted in perfectly so I felt that was meant to be I was very pleased with those there's a, a link in the show notes to the pattern they didn't turn out as perfectly regular as the ones in the pattern photos but still I was pleased with them and they were quite a nice little afternoon's project 
I've also made a couple of little glasses cases. Something I've learnt in my very tentative forays into sewing is the importance of fabric weight, just as I learnt the hard way why yarn weight matters in my early days of knitting. If you're sewing something that needs a bit of structure in the fabric, then don't use the very thin cotton you happen to have hanging about, or at least not on its own. For the glasses cases, I used a lining of a strongish canvas that used to be a cushion cover and topped it with a pretty cotton. I very much want to make a simple summer dress or tunic to wear over leggings, but the shop I would usually go to for cheap donated dressmaking fabric has shut for the time being. I would consider buying some fabric, but I'm a bit unsure how to go about working out how much I need for a given size of pattern. It all strays uncomfortably into maths territories. It all seems so much more complicated and expensive than buying yarn. My mum can help me. Of course, she's enormously experienced with this sort of thing, but it's difficult when you can't both bend over the same pattern pieces and hoof it around and hold it up against yourself and be sure that you're talking in the same terms. Some things just aren't the same over the phone or email and she hasn't hasn't quite got the hang of video calling. So um, I just think I'll just have to put that on hold for the time being. Just before I go, which I'm about to do, I just wanted to mention that it is coming up four years since I started this podcast. I started it because I was knitting at a hell of a rate in those days. I don't know what it was I was churning out. I was still, I think, very much in a learning phase and I had so much to say um, and I was going to the knitting group every week, which I've just not had time for now for probably getting on for a year. And I just had so much that I wanted to talk about and get out of my system about knitting and ideas to explore and all that sort of stuff, which sounds extraordinarily energetic now. But in those four years, um, I've, I podcast less now simply because I just don't have as much knitting on the go. I'm as enthusiastic as ever. Uh, it's just that it has to jostle for space in life with so many other things. Um, but I've really enjoyed doing the pod. Uh, I hope to carry on doing it. Listener figures suggest that people are enjoying what they're hearing, which I hope is the case. Something I'd love to do in the future is have more interviews because I'm sure it gets very dull just listening to me waffle on. So that is something I'll be putting my back into. And that's partly a technical exercise and partly a social exercise. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, for now, please stay well. Um, stay at home if you can and if you find yourself suddenly having to homeschool a very resistant child or children don't feel you're alone bye